Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. Several weeks ago, I went to... I got to show my shirt. If you're watching the video. The Florida Hazmat Symposium. We had a wonderful, wonderful conversation with Michelle Sai and Chief Lamb there at the symposium. And we were talking about everything hazmat. Um, we had a collaboration with Disaster Class on that show and so it was really fun to ping different questions. We even asked you, the audience, four questions about hazmat. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. While I was at the Florida Hazmat Symposium, I had an opportunity to meet all kinds of people, uh, emergency managers, firefighters, DOD assets, friends who have taken, have taken the um, uh, emergency management response for dynamic populations class uh, through the readiness lab, all kinds of stuff. One of the really special people that I got to interact with because her booth was right at the top of the stairs. So every time I came up, I got to see this big smiling face and she was just so kind. Everywhere we went, everyone's like, hey, have you talked to Lindsay? Have you talked to Lindsay? Have you talked to Lindsay? She was really popular. And I had the opportunity to talk with her and figure out why. And it was apparent from millisecond one why she was so popular. She's incredibly kind and honest. And she has this mission to do really great stuff. And like me, she's an entrepreneur and she created a company called Buxus. And I want to tell people about her from her point of view of how she came up with all, all these ideas and what she's trying to do to help out first responders, specifically in understanding the mapping of systems. I, everybody knows this, I'm a GIS guy. I think I'm pretty competent when it comes to mapping. And she blew my mind by talking to me specifically about how they're doing pipeline tracking in Georgia. And it's just, it was just really cool stuff. So without any further ado, I would like to invite Lindsay now onto the show, Lindsay Sander. She is uh, just incredible. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. So first of all, um, it is a, a real pleasure to have you on the show and to hear your perspective. Um, Thanks for talking to me at the Hazmat Symposium and for uh, you know accepting the invite to come on the show. Well, it's it's a great opportunity, and you were really kind in Florida. Uh, you kind of bounced over and said, "I need to meet you. I hear all about things that you're working on," and it started a great conversation. And and frankly, we didn't have enough time for all of it, but uh, yeah. uh, we love meeting new people. We love learning from others. Uh, you're you bring a totally new perspective for us, and and just enjoyed um, visiting with you and everybody else at Hazmat. Jonathan Lamb and Michelle Tuchowski do a fantastic job as well as their whole team. It's a great, uh, great event, great uh, group that leads it. Uh, lots of volunteer hours, um, but it's a, it's a fantastic event. We enjoy being part of. You know, I was blown away when he was telling me the track record of they started 10 years ago. We were at the 10 year anniversary with you there and seeing, you know, 550, 600 uh, people in their audience who are part of that and wanted to improve how, first responders interact with hazmat everything from branding they talked about branding and messaging in one of their classes mm -hmm. all the way through mapping and uh, that's one of the reasons why you were there and again i i like to find uh, this is going to steal from colonel mckinney who's been on this podcast so shout out to him centers of gravity and you're definitely a center of gravity in that space because everybody could use what you're working on um, and so just to, to give kind of the audience a background of why I'm saying what I'm saying, can you walk through how you came up with wanting to, to work and create Buxus as well as kind of your mission statement now moving forward? 
Sure. Well, I have uh, more than two decades uh, of experience in the pipeline industry. Uh, it's a it's a long story. It probably all happened by accident, in all honesty. Uh, but I've learned the pipeline industry throughout my career and have worked in different aspects of it, particularly in the public and government affairs sector of it. And one aspect of it we refer to as public awareness, and that is how um, we teach others about what we do, how to keep safe around us, and how to respond in the event an emergency occurs. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, in, in its early days, um, I call them the bad rubber chicken dinners. I don't want to offend anyone that's catered those events historically, but needless to say is the way that pipelines used to educate emergency responders um, where we would hold a meeting once a year in a, in a group setting. We'd invite all the emergency responders in and give them a short speech. They'd take lots of what I call trinkets and trash home um, mm -hmm. and share them with the grandkids. And we would hope that the information that was shared that that night would bring, be brought back to the firehouse or the other emergency response organization and shared. Now, mm -hmm. 30 years ago, that's probably how it worked. In today's world, it doesn't work that way anymore. And we've seen dramatic decreases in the attendance. And rightfully so. There's a lot of things that have changed in terms of communication. Demands on emergency responders' time has increased significantly. The responsibilities and the breadth of the responsibility has increased substantially. And so we, as a pipeline industry, need to do better in terms of how we're educating responders about pipelines and how, what would they can do in terms of uh, responding to an, an event. And especially just being familiar with what's what's there um, and what's in their community. Uh, we find so many times they, they're not familiar with it. And even the basics of how to get a hold of us and get in touch with us are not are not necessarily simple if you're not familiar with us. So we we want to be available to our communities and we especially want to be available to our responders. And it was kind of along those auspices that we that we headed uh, in this direction. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Instinct Ready Kits are awesome. Compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready fully loaded Stop the Bleed Kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready Kits and training at InstinctReady.com. Okay, let's jump back in. So the um, I'm just going to capitalize on, on something you said there. I don't get schooled very often. I work very hard to make sure that I don't get schooled very often. And you 100% schooled me in this topic. And uh, no joke, it like put me on a path for like the next week to like learn everything I could because I didn't want to be in that position again. But what, what happened was, is we, you and I at the hazmat symposium were talking about, I think it was at the hazmat symposium. Yeah, we were talking about the actual mapping of these pipelines. And I was like, you know, chip on my shoulder. Well, I was this important recovering fed and blah, blah, blah. I've, I've tracked this stuff for a long time in major disasters. 
and you were like, you're pulling it up in real time and I was seeing it on your app. You're like, yeah, actually most of this isn't being tracked. Like most of the pipelines, we can't see this. And you specifically gave this reference about hollowed out uh, wooden um, poles and um, how they're now when they go and fix pipelines, they actually intentionally break the pipeline so they can go in there and put it, put it with better tracers and be- better trackers and um, uh, like better pipelines essentially. And let, me, let me break that down just really yeah. quickly because there's a bunch of stuff there. And if somebody from the pipeline industry hears that, they're going to be like, oh my God, what did she tell you? And so <laughs> let, me, let me break that down for a second. Okay. So originally, that's how a lot of uh, liquids and gas got uh, moved was in wood pipelines. And there's yeah, the historical great, side of it. Sorry, the historical there's some, side. There's of some it. great pictures of that. Yeah. That was 100 years ago. Um, 1923, yeah. Yeah, lo- long time ago. Um, but now you know, we move so. primarily through plastic, through a composite, uh, which is a combination of steel and, and plastic, uh, as well as steel and different types of pipes in different situations are, are made of different things. The, the incident that I was telling you about uh, actually relates to some old pipe in West Texas, where the, the original pipe was um, plastic and it was built with what are called tracer wires. Um and that a lot of times tracer wires get broken over time for various reasons. And the operator that we're familiar with um, sometimes has difficulty finding them. And so to be safe, if they know someone's digging around them, they will blow down the gas line, uh, let the excavator potentially hit it. Um, they don't always hit it, but they may. And yeah. then after the construction is done, they will go in and replace the pipe uh, and reinstall a tracer wire um, so that they can find it. So needless to say is, you know, depending on when the pipe was built, uh, depending on what kind of pipe it is, you know, sometimes maps weren't required. Um, And some pipes are obviously required to be mapped. So the system that's currently in existence today that we were kind of were talking about was NPMS, which is the National Pipeline Mapping System. That has transmission pipelines on it. And under federal law, every transmission operator in the country is required to submit their maps to that system every year. But there are other types of pipelines and lots of them. Uh, There's production lines affiliated with uh, production assets. Mm -hmm. There's gathering lines that bring the lines from production into uh, refining centers, uh, gas processing units, et cetera. Um, And then there's the distribution systems that bring gas to industrial uh, manufacturers as well as um, as homes and businesses to heat their homes and fuel fuel their cooking, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. And those aren't any of them aren't mapped uh, or available publicly at this point. They're mapped internally at the companies, but they're not available. Um, to well, the and there's security issues for that there's too, security. right? Like, there's absolutely yeah. security issues around them. Yep. And so there's reasons. In fact, NPMS was actually um, made public just uh, weeks, if not months, in advance of 9-11. Uh, mm-hmm. As you can imagine, as soon as 9-11 happened, it came down and there was large discussions about uh, how it should exist today. And it really hasn't evolved uh, in 20 years now since the, since it was made public. Um, mm. But at the same time, there is some argument to be made that people should know generally the vicinity of them. Maybe not the exact location, but there's something there, um, especially for responders. And so I think we're opening that discussion up about what's appropriate and what it means mm. and really how it can improve the safety of responders. Um, in general in their communities as they respond to whether it's directly a pipeline uh, issue or whether it's something that could impact a pipeline 
And we've got a number of case studies and a growing number of case studies about how this can make a substantial difference um, in both of those circumstances or a, a variety of circumstances. As somebody who is aggregating, and hopefully I'm using the right word there, aggregating a lot of this information and data and the fact that you know the history of it, what is your personal take? What do you think, what is the level of security and or um, communication even publicly accessible or at least accessible to responders and maybe construction crews that they should have in not just planning, but in response? I mean, everything you mentioned there showed an intentional way to reduce risk, right? Yep. It's not like, oh, we're going to... And, you know, to your point, we're not just going to, like, let them hit a pipeline. We are going to plan something out to improve a system, right? Like, the, the whole thing is to, in order to reduce risk. And so, as your mission is out there, and we can talk about Buxus's, um like, app here in a second, as you are aggregating all this information, as you want to improve the risk reduction and support for responders what is your take like there has to be some kind of security in here but how would they possibly access this if they don't have quote unquote a security clearance so again many topics let me try to break down a i love this they're just gonna that dive on really this important yeah. there um let's talk about excavation first is there are there is a national program called uh, call before you dig if you call 811 which is the national call before you dig number uh, in fact, you're required under federal law and state laws. If you're going to excavate, you need to call that number and that system will help notify the utility or the pipeline or the electric company, whomever's underground that's a public utility to come out and, and mark those facilities prior to digging. Um, so there's a very specific purpose behind that system and it's different than ours and it's different for a number of reasons. So. I think it's really important to note that we are not seeking to replace that system. We don't want to, and it's uh, a very specific uh, system that's used for excavation related activities. Um, so I wanna put that kind of in a separate, uh, whether you call it a sandbox or a parking garage or what have you, but mm -hmm. it, it needs to be treated very differently for a, a lot of different reasons. For us and for emergency response, I think um, one of the things that I've learned, I've, I've learned a tremendous amount, as much as I thought I knew about this when we launched Buxus, I've learned 10 times that since. Um, but really is from the re responder perspective is that when any responder goes into a system or a, a situation, they look at it, I call it 360, they usually call it front, back, left, right, et cetera. Um, but needless to say is, if they don't know what's underground in a particular circumstance, that can be just as big of a risk as what they're seeing visually above ground. And so we need to give them some kind of information in terms of what the risk is associated with those assets. But most importantly, we also need to give them just some basic contact information and information about what they should do in the event that there is a pipeline release, mm. uh, whether it's a small issue or a really big issue we need them to know how to keep themselves and the community safe as they go to respond to that incident, because it's very different than what they would do in a traditional emergency response situation. So let me, um, and, and fantastic answer there, explaining like that, that process and, and compartmentalizing those, those issues in terms of your take on the security though, right? Oh, like, yes. I'm sorry, I forgot that answer. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Like, I, I tend to ask uh, multiple questions at the same time. My my thought process is on, on this specific one topic, right, of security, is balancing access 
with emergency needs, i.e. what's below me, and uh, recognizing nefarious partners. Because if you don't balance those things out, like realistically, um, there's going to be a clash there. And it sounds like, from what you said earlier, in the last 20 years, they don't even want to address it. And you're trying to address it and both overcome it by making sure responders have great situational awareness of what's happening in the environment that they're operating in. If, yeah. if I can frame that correctly. Yeah. I, well, and let me say that I'm not sure they're afraid of addressing it. It's, I'm just not sure anybody's thought about it from this perspective before. And frankly, the technology uh, 20 years ago is completely different today. And so what we can do today is, uh, is enormous uh, in terms of the differences and, and just uh, how advanced we've become. So let me say there, as far as security, it's absolutely critical um, there's lots of things that we do that I can't talk about uh, for a number of reasons to try to ensure the security of what we're doing. Um, at the same time, a lot of what we're doing is actually public information and it's about safety. Um, and so there's nothing really top secret about it. We're just trying to get the information to the right people uh, to make sure that they have access to it. So it, there is a, there's absolutely a balancing act here. And I think that that's a, a really great way of framing it. Um, at the same time, uh, is you know, there is a, a balance between public safety and uh, security, and at the same time, uh, I think we've found the way to do it in balancing that. And I think the companies that have come on board so far recognize that. And at the same time, uh, we're we're taking steps actively every day to learn, grow, uh, and mold as we need to to address any particular security issue that somebody may have. Yeah, I'm thinking of those emergency managers right now who are listening in. And there's a there's a very famous uh, quote by Craig Fugate. And I like to add on to that quote. It's very simple. A lot of other industries use it. And he often would ask, you know, former head of FEMA, so what? And I like to add on to that, now what? So if we're starting to track this and it's for responders and it's for that 360 view, and we recognize there's a balancing act that needs to be addressed. You already have companies added to your app. Like, so what? And now what? From the emergency planning and response perspective, how can people use these tools to reduce risk? Besides saying like, oh yeah, that's something dangerous under me. Like there has to be more than that. And I think you've developed processes around that. What can they do as audience listeners? Oh gosh, I think the the examples that we're we're hearing and learning about or just coming up with are amazing. So, for example, we've been approached by a major school district, one of the largest in the country, who have said, "Oh my God, we have pipelines all over our school area. We don't know who owns them. We've never mm -hmm. drilled with them. We need to work with them uh, to get together and do a better emergency preparedness uh, plan and and practice and drill and what have you." And so. You can look at it from a case study, always from the school, all the way down to major incidents um, that either have occurred or people have talked about. We just finished a major drill in Houston with Buxus uh, in November. It went extremely well. It was a combination rail uh, pipeline event that impacted the Houston rodeo. Uh, there was, you know, like, I don't know, nearly 60 participants from throughout the entire Harris County area involved awesome. in it. And I think that we really learned uh, kind of, uh, how a buxus can help, but also then either some of the gaps in the communication downstream um, with other parties involved and how to improve those communication channels. So I think 
you know, this is part, this is one tool in the toolbox, right? There's no one solution. Buxus isn't a, a permanent fix to any particular thing, mm -hmm. but it does provide another tool in the toolbox for responders and for planners and for everyone else that in the emergency response community in terms of learning more, having more resources um, and, and being able to do it at your fingertip, literally in, in, in seconds, not uh, trying to fumble for a three ring binder on somebody's shelf or tucked underneath somebody's seat or hoping to hell that they've, they've got a number somewhere. They, there's literally no excuse anymore um, for either side, for the pipes or for the response agencies is that literally they can go to their phone, you know, download the app and start to get information. Uh, and obviously the systems were baby, we're, we're 12 months old. Um, but the, the interest, the number of people that are subscribing to the system now, um, everything that's happening is that this is going to be a really strong tool and resource for people going forward. The, uh, you know, we talked about that a little bit at the Florida Hazmat Symposium where um, I was with uh, Task Force 46, that same colonel that mentioned earlier, and there was a train derailment as part of the exercise. And I thought that was really great. In fact, um, in a week after your podcast, um, I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Um, Ali that was, again, another train derailment. It's, essentially, it was a uh, um, two, um, two propane tanks uh, blowing up. But in terms of the pipeline perspective, what I said, I'm going to reference like 18 podcasts, apparently. Sure. Uh, the podcast with uh, Chief Lamb and group, I said, you know, in that podcast, like every disaster is a hazmat disaster, whether it was related to a hazmat incident or not. So if the wildfire goes through, there's hazmat in people's homes, right? And so the more that people are learning about like different types of hazmat and, and specifically, you know, pipelines, you know, there's there's more situational awareness, understanding their true environment. So many times people uh, are short sighted, unfortunately, and and see what's immediately in front of them. There's so much chaos that I look around and this is what's happening. They forget what's underground. They forget like what's coming down the line, you know, and that could be for a flood. You know, a slow onset flood can take eight months to go down the river and flood communities to literally. Uh, you know, two years ago with uh, what's happened, what happened in Texas. And, you know, as in the, the date of the recording, it's happening kind of again, um, state of emergency, you know, due to um, energy crisis. So just to back away up here, because I do want to talk about uh, the app and we talk about technologies all the time. And so just for the, my listeners sake, I didn't pay you to come on here. You didn't pay me. We just, I just found it interesting, right? Um, your story of how you moved and what happened in the move and your thoughts on this and working in this 20 years and then the actual app. Now we don't have a picture of the app, so we're not going to pop it up, but maybe people on, uh, if they want to know more, they can obviously go on social media or your website, uh, which we can put in the show notes, but tell us the formation of Buxus, like your personal story and then what the app actually does. Two questions. That's two. Um, I'll try to keep the personal story to a short. I think the short end is, is that uh, when you have something like COVID happens and your house is flooded almost at the same time and you have to pick up and move uh, somewhere else. And then all of a sudden you're, you're standing in another home 
and you watch oil go into the negative double digits uh, and you look at your husband and you say, holy shit, uh, what's going to happen to our industry? What happens to our clients? Uh, what are, you know, what's the world going to look like after this? Um, you start to think, and especially after traveling uh, the country and some the world for the last 20 years, I had two years to sit and think and innovate and come up with uh, different things that needed to move our industry forward on a number of issues. And so we really worked on innovation uh, sitting uh, through COVID. And um, it, it was awesome. It's very rewarding. And I think there's a number of things that we've done that, that will help our industry um, go, go forward. And so that's how Buxus originated is all in all honesty is that I'm not sure we would be in the position we are today had COVID not happened. Um, because it gave me time to work on it, in all honesty. Um, as far as the creation of Buxus, um, and I know you're going to, you told me, you were, this is the only question you told me you were going to ask, is how, what does it stand for, uh, is that Buxus uh, stand, is Latin for pipe. It's also a boxwood tree, but if you also look a little deeper, it's the name for pipe. And we thought it was unique enough that people would catch on, and it has. It's it's a it, Everybody talks about where it came from, but needless to say is, we felt like it was important to have a one-stop shop to have information about pipelines and other infrastructure where responders can come and get information um, for free. And so this is being paid for by the, the industry and the operators that are in the system. And so any responder can come to it um, and get access. We do make sure we know who you are, um, but needless to say is you can download the app and uh, get information. Now, again, we're baby. So not everyone's there, um, but we are making some really strong progress. Uh, not, don't want to get into specific numbers, but there's a, there's a lot happening with us right now, which we're really excited about. Yeah, um, you should be. So needless to say, that's that's the backstory, and hopefully that was the detail that I gave that you needed. And if if I need to elaborate more, I will. How about this? Uh, from a guy who runs 10 podcasts, has three companies, and a lot of the stuff that we focus on is right now we're focusing really a lot on the branding of emergency management. Uh, hyper aware of that. The name and the history is, uh, is clever, but also the name specifically because the X in the middle is such a easy tie towards like even pipelines. It, that's why I thought you originally had come up with the name. I was like, oh, okay. It's like, it has this like tie towards that. Um, and I, I thought it was a clever. So from a marketing perspective, a branding perspective, a history perspective, uh, pretty clever to come up with. I think it's pretty phenomenal that first responders can get access to it for free. Um, we all know that, you know, funding is always an issue. And uh, at the same time, we want every tool in the toolbox to make sure that we can save and sustain life. I went through this exact same fight, funny enough, in a completely different technology with drones. And people are like, well, drones, if we use drones, and what about all this other stuff? It's like, it's another tool in the toolbox. Um, I think that's actually a really good reminder for everybody's listening here. When you hear of a new technology that somebody has developed, she said, you know, Lindsay just said the it's been, a, it's a baby. It's 12 months. Well, fantastic. You just added another tool to your toolbox that can help you save and sustain life, re reduce risk. And that I will say that about any technology. There's some technologies that have more risk and some uh, technologies have low risk. And the more that you can get situational awareness as an emergency manager or responder in some kind of aspect, then all the better to you and the the exponential 
you know, rate of success that you can uh, possibly gain by adding additional tools. So a uh, really co- good call out there. In terms of I'm now a listener and I'm like, hey, you just talked about there's this free app for me. I'm dying for some free apps. Like, how do they actually contact you? Like, what is the actual process for somebody to, to get your application? It is super simple. Download the app under Buxus, under either Google or Apple. Uh, it's red. It's got a big, big B. I think it's gray B with red background. Uh, and then at the bottom of the page, uh, it says, don't have uh, an account register here. Click that. Uh, put in your information, uh, make sure that you use the drop-down menus throughout. That's really important. Mm. So people get stuck with that. Uh, <laughs> but answer the questions. It's really simple. It's your, it's your agency name. It's your uh, capability levels, meaning what kind of resources you can provide a pipeline operator in the event of an emergency. Uh, it's what training you've had, uh, who your mutual aid agreements are with. That all helps us know who we can contact for help in the, the event something really bad goes wrong. We're a black swan and we know it. People don't think about us typically uh, until something really bad happens. And so yeah. this is, is meant to A, raise awareness for both um, the operators in terms of what the responders can help us with, but also the responders and what we can, we, what we can do and the steps they should take in, in the case that something happens. But once um, they're through the, the registration process, uh, it'll come into a queue. Uh, we will review you and make sure that you are who you say you are and that you need access. And then you'll get an email from us saying, go back to that, the app and download the information. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really a simple process. It'll, depending on how fast you can type, um, I'm going to laugh at myself for a second because I have a BlackBerry and I can type very quickly because I have buttons. <laughs> um, and if you don't have buttons like I do, it may take you a few minutes to download. Mm-hmm. It won't take you a ton of time, um, but it will help us and it'll get you access. Uh, we don't have any ads. We're not going to try to sell you anything. We're not going to sell your information. Uh, it is purely uh, used for educational purposes in terms of what kind of resources you can provide uh, the operators. And um, from there, you can uh, search uh, search by address, uh, get details of the uh, operators in your communities. That's awesome. Uh, like mic drop. Uh, you don't have a mic, but I would do a mic drop for you. Uh, the... Um, as you were talking about black swan, it's the black swan because, uh, people don't typically think about you and they only need you. Like when th- something really bad happens, um, you just described my entire life because ev- my kids will say mom, mom, mom. But if they say yeah. dad, then I know something's really bad has happened. And, uh, I am the black swan in the family apparently. So, uh, I can understand from that perspective. I hope that in the future, having conversations like this about like what's under you, what's around you, understanding your environment, adding different tools that it reduces that idea that it is a black swan and it increases the capability of the emergency manager when they're doing their planning. And especially once people start getting out in the field of saying, okay, like this is becoming standard. I know my environment around me, my sit reps that are coming out, my, you know, I, we had a podcast, another podcast about enhancing sit reps using technologies to enhance intelligence. And so really huge kudos to you for allowing first responders to plug in some information and to say, hey, uh, I'm actually who I am, uh, say I am and be able to start uh, reducing their risk. So, um, oh, hold on. This is going to be super random. But if I get the right button, uh, tell me if this is a clapping sound. Is that a cheering sound? How about this one? 
No, that's why I'm laughing. We'll go with this one. We'll go with this one. Yeah. Um, seriously, kudos to you, Lindsay, and for everything you're doing there at Buxus. Love the history of the name and why you're doing it. It's obvious to understand why people like you so much and, and, and really understanding your mission, especially all those firefighters that were at the Florida Hazmat Symposium. Oh my gosh, no wonder you were so popular. Um, if they're you, all great guys. Good. And women. You, Don't forget the women. women you actually too. had, um, well, she was the chief. No, Dana, I, I don't want to overstate because uh, Dana will kill me and so will the chief. Uh, but Dana right. Brown from the Houston Hazmat team, she's a captain. Uh, captain. Interestingly enough, just as a small backstory here, uh, the Orlando Hazmat team introduced me to her and they said, oh. you, you're from Texas. You need to meet Dana. I picked up the phone and called Dana. She said, why don't you come down to the station and show the guys what you've got? And mm. I showed the guys and the guys loved it. The Houston Hazmat team is all in on this. And they, awesome. they absolutely love it. And uh, Dana was like, I'm, I'm really impressed by this. This is, this is something that we can use uh, uh, and endorse, or she can endorse it, obviously, not the Houston Hazmat team directly. <laughs> no government can endorse anything. Yeah, ever, uh, even though they, they all love their stuff. I love um, yeah, so needless to say is no government entity can endorse anything, just to be clear. Uh, but needless to say is Dana has been very gracious with her time uh, we work with her directly now, uh, and and I think that that's great. We we love hearing from responders. We learn so much from you all, and I think we have a very different perspective of how we can help be helpful in the future. And we're starting to look at developing additional tools that will be more of help. And so the other thing they can do is not only download the app. Um, there's two things, two other things you can do. Is one is talk to the operators in your area. If you've got pipeline operators, electric companies, etc., that you want to see in Buxus talk to them and say, hey, we like Buxus. This will be of help to us. We can talk about it all we want, but really if they hear from the responders, the responders are who matter. And then the third thing is, is give us feedback. If you don't like something, tell us. If you've got ideas of how we can improve, tell us. If you've got an idea of what we can do for you that's different or expanded upon what we've already done, tell us. Let me tell you, there are some really cool ideas out there that have been floated to us. And we're really, really super excited about them and bringing them forward. So I hope that I can come back and talk about those as they uh, get unveiled here. But needless to say is we're on a wonderful adventure and journey. Uh, we love meeting people like you. We love partnering with people like you. And um, we look forward to a really bright future. Awesome. Lindsay, thank you so much for the, those closing comments. You know, it's, uh, it's a conversation that needs to happen in our field. And, uh, you know, you coming on here, spending some time with us allows emergency managers to expand their vision. And uh, we appreciate your time so much for coming on. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us. Okay, everybody. Lindsay here at the end said the words, tell us several times. So I'm going to say it one more time. Tell us your thoughts about this episode by going on Disaster Tough Podcast on all of our social media channels. If you're doing something about pipelines or about hazmat that you think can really help out the field, we want to hear it. If you have ideas or suggestions or you have questions, tag Buxus, tag Lindsay on those posts at like on like LinkedIn, wherever we're at, and say, hey, I have a question. We get emails all the time. We love the emails, but we want the community to answer. This is a community-focused educational podcast. Again, we're going to put in the show notes about Buxus, about Lindsay, so you can, uh, if, you're, if you're a responder and you want access, uh, we're going to give you that option. As always, the shameless plug here, if you like this episode, if you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and we'll see you for the next one. Thanks.
Thank you.